This podcast series is brought to you by the International Publishers Association in honor of our 125th anniversary. Each episode is a short story told from the perspectives of our global publishing community. We hear their personal stories, where they started, and their journey into the world of publishing. Join us in welcoming Dr. Mihiel Coleman, former president of the International Publishers Association from 2017 to 2018. So my father passed away a year ago and we went through a collection of old uh, photographs and there was one that really kind of stood out for me. And I'm sitting uh, on his lap. My father is, is wearing a suit. I think that's maybe the way things were in, in the 60s. And he's reading to me from a, a children's book. I'm four years old, five years old. And it's uh, an iconic Dutch uh, children's book. Everybody in the Netherlands would recognize it. It's about Jip and Janneke and the authors, Annie M. G. Smit. Um, but if you look at that picture, you see both the joy of uh, my father and myself connecting um, you know, beautifully, uh, really kind of almost being in, in, you know, having this reading, listening uh, connection, which uh, you can only really achieve with a book. Uh, I actually framed the, framed the picture and, and I really enjoy you know, seeing it in the morning and, and reminding me, of course, of my father. Uh, but also uh, of the the power of uh, of reading and the power of literature. Yes, so I'm working for Elsevier, which is the the largest science publisher in the world. And I've been there for 25 years, so a great long adventure, so to say. And part of that, I remember once I was invited to join a delegation of Dutch publishers. And we went on a fact-finding mission to the U.S. And it was much centered around uh, innovation. And I really enjoyed not only spending time with my fellow publishers, but also exploring this whole international world of publishing, the world of innovation, you know, what is the, the future for publishing. And after that, uh, the Dutch publishers asked me whether... I could represent them in the IPA, and I went uh, to all these meetings in Frankfurt at the General Assembly, um, and then I ran for the board, and I got elected. Um, and then while I was in the board, we, we changed the statutes, and I, I noticed that if you get elected as vice president, you almost automatically become president. And I thought, oh, that's my opportunity. Uh, and then I ran for vice president. And I served as VP for two years under Richard Charkin, which was like a great experience. And then I was uh, president myself for two years. And I was following in the footsteps of many. Um, and uh, there are two former presidents who actually were also at Elsevier, Hermann Sprout and uh, YSG. So uh, it wasn't completely uh, surprising, Uh, but of course, they're very different characters and different um, times than when they were presidents. But uh, I really enjoyed my my times that I could contribute to uh, what the IPA stands for and what is important for the IPA. So I, I certainly had the passion for, for innovation and I really felt that the IPA was putting that uh, on the forefront 
um, in the framework of uh, copyright. So, you know, if you have, a, it's a bit technical, but if you have the right copyright regime, you can really enable innovation um, and it can secure the future for, for publishers and the roles they have. So I, that certainly appealed to me. But what also appealed to me for the IPA is that it's an NGO and it has a human rights mandate. Um, and it's all about freedom to publish. And of course, that goes to the core of what we do. So it's the fight against censorship. It's uh, the solidarity among publishers so that every publisher can publish whatever should be published uh, without any risk to that individual or that organization. Um, and there are publishers which are absolute heroes. They publish books which are controversial. They publish books which they know are going to be censored. And, and they pay a price for that. Sometimes it's imprisonment and sometimes they pay the ultimate price with their lives. So that fight for the freedom to publish is certainly something that's strongly uh, attractive to me uh, when I got involved uh, in the IPA. So during my presidency, we had uh, the IPA Congress that took place in Delhi. And actually, it was the last Congress because uh, the one in, uh, scheduled uh, two years later had to be canceled. Um, and for you know three days, uh, Delhi was really the heart of, of the publishing industry worldwide because everything that happens in, in, in publishing was happening there in Delhi. And we had freedom to publish very prominently on the agenda. And I clearly remember um, that we had uh, the wife of a Bangladeshi uh, publisher there who actually was killed because of what he published. Uh, and, and her testimony was extremely moving. Uh, at the same time, we also had the daughter of uh, an, another uh, freedom to publish award-winning, so we have the Prix Voltaire at the IPA, uh, Gui Ming Hai, who's a Swedish national, but originally from Hong Kong. Um, and he was then and still is in, in Chinese prison. And so she spoke also very eloquently what her father was going through um, and how difficult it was for him uh, that he ended up uh, being actually abducted in Thailand and taken to China um, and then had to confess on TV and the impact was you know, on himself and also on the family. So both really were uh, highlights of the Congress, you know, highlights in a sad way because of course, you know, one publisher was murdered, the other publisher was uh, imprisoned. Um, but it was very important, I think, that uh, we, we put that so prominently on the agenda there. Well, I actually come from the Netherlands, where we have a long tradition of freedom of expression and freedom of, of speech. Um, and even in the 1600s, when there was a period in, in, in Europe with essentially censorship everywhere, and there was this one zone of freedom here in the Netherlands. Um, and, and Elsevier, the publishing company I work for, uh, was actually at those days publishing books that were so controversial that they could not be published elsewhere. For instance, the, the works by Galileo Galilei, who was banned by the Catholic Church because of his ideas. 
but Elsevier, uh, the Elsevier brothers, they, they, they went to Italy and they smuggled the manuscript to Leiden and then published it here in the Netherlands. So I, I come from a long tradition, so to say, of, uh, of publishing, um, and, but also of uh, the freedom to publish and the fight against censorship. Yeah, so the main challenge is, and you will not be surprised, so that we are experiencing the pandemic, which is a once in a century uh, event, hopefully, and now we're slowly getting out of it. And this gives us the opportunity, I think, to, to reshape uh, the world we live in. And I'm already extremely inspired when I see how the publishing community are embracing new ways of working, how innovative the solutions are that they are, how they went from print to digital almost overnight, where it's about educational publishing or children's books publishing or academic publishing. But together we now can truly think, so what is the world we would like to live in and how can publishers kind of contribute to that? And I think it's a, unique, beautiful opportunity kind of to shape a more sustainable and a more equitable future for all of us. And so that I would say is the challenge um, and, and it comes exactly at, at the right time. It's because we start a completely new era now as the, the post COVID-19 period in history. So I see that the IPA is at the forefront of, of change and very much driven by the organization itself, but also by its members and, and, and the publishers around the world. A small example, for instance, uh, during the pandemic um, at Elsevier, we were, were flooded with manuscripts uh, around Corona. And we realized it was our obligation, our duty, to have them peer reviewed as fast as possible. But at the same time, we could not compromise on quality because this is information which has to remain trustworthy, but is also the input for health policies and, in, and has incredible societal impact. So we immediately came up with machine learning solutions, AI solutions to identify which articles we're dealing with Corona and fast track uh, the peer review process there. And we're kind of celebrated the fact that um, you know, when in the end, uh, Dr. Fauci was kind of defending his policies, he would kind of hold up this article and say, you know, my policies are based on this article, which was from Cell Press, one of those articles that, that we published. So I am very confident that the IPA can play an important role in uh, kind of shaping our post-COVID-19 uh, society. And I see all the elements there, whether it's around innovation and best practice sharing or specific funds of people that uh, an organization that needs additional uh, support. So uh, that is all in place. And not to mention, of course, uh, the very inspiring leadership There was one pivotal moment that really stood out for me, and that was our um, seminar, IPA seminar in Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, and it, because it was really groundbreaking in the sense it was the very first time um, that the IPA was active um, in Africa. Now, of course, we had events perhaps in, in South Africa, 
uh, but never really in, in that region. And I remember uh, that, first of all, it was a great event, very well organized. Uh, I, I loved both the content of the program and, and all the mix of uh, you know, speakers that have flown in and, and the local expertise we listened to. I love the social program. I still remember our secretary general dancing away to some great uh, African beat. But it set in motion, I think, a focus on Africa, which I can still see at the IPA today, which it's now, you know, must be more like you know, five years later or so, four years later. And also see Bordeaux uh, putting uh, Africa strongly on the agenda. Um, and one of the other things that also were set in motion and I can see happening today is around <clears throat> the SDG book club. So uh, during my presidency, we started together with UN a book club for kids around the sustainable development goals. And we did that in the six UN languages. And in the meantime, uh, new book clubs has, have come up in Norwegian and Indonesian. And uh, later this month, we will launch one in Africa in African language or in literature coming out of Africa, maybe in, in French or in English or Portuguese. And I find that extremely heartwarming that, you know, that after this kind of pivotal moment in Lagos, that now we are truly embracing, I think, African publishing. Um, and, and it's well illustrated by uh, the African version of the SCT Book Club. So one topic that I put on the agenda and was kind of new was diversity and inclusion. And diversity and inclusion has different lenses. It can be around gender or ethnicity. It can apply to the organization itself, but also, of course, our members and the publishers, whether they are diverse. Uh, and very importantly, also what we publish. So not only who is the publisher, if you know that's a diverse uh, group of people, but also... Um, publishers can be catalysts of change. For instance, you could have gender-neutral children's books, um, um, or you could have um, in textbooks you know, the depiction of, of women in in a, in a much more way that reflects society or reflects the way should, society should be. And so, one thing I'm a little bit proud of that after you know I, I stepped down as, as president. We, I was succeeded by somebody from Latin America. So there is this kind of regional diversity. And now we have, again, after a long, long time, a female president, also a female vice president. And coming from, you know, female vice president from Latin America. Um, but this is the very first time, of course, that we have uh, an IPA leader from the Arab world. So uh, lots of diversity go going there. And, and I hope that uh, by putting DNI high on the agenda, that it kind of made it a bit easier and paved the way for that leadership uh, diversity as we have today at the IPA. Of course, there are other uh, lenses of leadership uh, diversity. Um, um, YSG was, I think, the first uh, Asian um, leader. I myself, uh, I, th I think, as far as I know, the first uh, LGBTIQ uh, leader of the IPA. So all those different lenses around ethnicity and sexual identity and, and regionality are, are kind of well represented, and that's in the leadership. I'm also very proud to 
put, I think, uh, diversity and inclusion on the agenda of what we publish. And, and, and I see that it's far more topic today, um, which is being embraced. The publishers are aware of, of, of that. Uh, they really feel that they should recruit diverse staff so that they can really market also to a diverse readership and a diverse authorship. So great uh, improvement there, but at the same time, uh, lots of work still to be done. My advice would be for uh, to really always engage, always go in the dialogue, always be open-minded. And at the same time, also make it very clear what you stand for. Have clear ideas and, um, and, and bring those forward. So that's a, a very interesting balance to, to find. And I think, and as a result, I see that today the IPA is far more... Uh, an external force uh, to, to be reckoned with, a force for the good, uh, a force with a positive impact on, on society, whether it's about freedom to publish, around innovation, by diversity of inclusion, and all those boxes are being ticked. So I'm very happy that, that that's happening. Uh, and I think it's because of yeah, those two sentiments, so to say, this really this openness, this willingness to be in a dialogue with everybody, but at the same time to also make very clear that there are certain values we stand for, and that's what we will pursue. This podcast series is brought to you by the International Publishers Association. The IPA is the world's largest federation of national, regional, and specialist publishers associations. Our membership comprises 86 organizations from 71 countries in Africa, Asia, Australasia, Europe, and the Americas. Through its members, IPA represents thousands of individual publishers around the world who service markets containing more than 5.6 billion people. Learn more about the IPA by visiting www.internationalpublishers.org.